0: Section 11 of a Collection of Supreme Court Opinions by the United States Supreme Court. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Selwyn. United States versus Wong Kim Ark one hundred and sixty nine u s six hundred and forty nine decided march twenty seventh eighteen ninety eight part one please note this is a reading of the opinion of the court only. this reading does not include the syllabus or any concurring or dissenting opinions for ease of listening. this reading omits legal citations found within the text of the court's opinion. Mr. Justice Gray, after stating the case, delivered the opinion of the court. The facts of this case, as agreed by the parties, are as follows. Wong Kim Ark was born in 1873 in the city of San Francisco, in the state of California and United States of America, and was and is a laborer. His father and mother were persons of Chinese descent and subjects of the Emperor of China, They were at the time of his birth domiciled residents of the United States, having previously established and still enjoying a permanent domicile and residence therein at San Francisco. They continued to reside and remain in the United States until 1890, when they departed for China, and during all the time of their residence in the United States, they were engaged in business and were never employed in any diplomatic or official capacity under the emperor of China. Wang Kim Ark, ever since his birth, has had but one residence, to wit, in California, within the United States, and has there resided, claiming to be a citizen of the United States, and has never lost or changed that residence, or gained or acquired another residence, and neither he nor his parents, acting for him, ever renounced his allegiance to the United States or did or committed any act or thing to exclude him therefrom. In 1890, when he must have been about seventeen years of age, he departed for China on a temporary visit, and with the intention of returning to the United States, and did return thereto by sea in the same year, and was permitted by the Collector of Customs to enter the United States under the sole ground that he was a native-born citizen of the United States. After such return, he remained in the United States, claiming to be a citizen thereof, until 1894, when he, being about 21 years of age, but whether a little above or a little under that age does not appear, again departed for China on a temporary visit, and with the intention of returning to the United States, and he did return thereto by sea in August 1895, and applied to the Collector of Customs for permission to land, and was denied such permission upon the sole ground that he was not a citizen of the United States. It is conceded that, if he is a citizen of the United States, the acts of Congress, known as the Chinese Exclusion Acts, prohibiting persons of the Chinese race, and especially Chinese laborers, from coming into the United States, do not and cannot apply to him the question presented by the record is whether a child born in the united states of parents of chinese descent who at the time of his birth are subjects of the emperor of china but have a permanent domicile and residence in the united states and are there carrying on business and are not employed in any diplomatic or official capacity under the emperor of china becomes at the time of his birth a citizen of the United States by virtue of the first clause of the 14th amendment of the constitution quote, "all persons born or naturalized in the united states and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the united states and of the state wherein they reside" End quote. 1 In construing any act of legislation, whether a statute enacted by the legislature or a constitution established by the people as the supreme law of the land, regard is to be had not only to all parts of the act itself, and of any former act of the same lawmaking power of which the act in question is an amendment, but also to the condition and to the history of the laws previously existing, and in the light of which the new act must be read and interpreted. The Constitution of the United States, as originally adopted, uses the words quote, citizen of the United States, end quote, and quote, natural born citizen of the United States, end quote. By the original Constitution, every representative in Congress is required to have been quote seven years a citizen of the United States, end quote and every senator to have been quote, nine years a citizen of the United States end quote. and quote, no person except a natural born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this constitution shall be eligible to the office of president. End quote. The fourteenth article of amendment besides declaring that quote, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. End quote. Also declares that quote, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. End quote. And the fifteenth article of amendment declares that quote, the right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race color or previous condition of servitude. End quote. The Constitution nowhere defines the meaning of these words either by way of inclusion or of exclusion except in so far as this is done by the affirmative declaration. That quote, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States. End quote. In this, as in other respects, it must be interpreted in the light of the common law, the principles and history of which were familiarly known to the framers of the Constitution. The language of the Constitution, as has been well said, could not be understood without reference to the common law. In Minor v. Happersett, Chief Justice Waite, when construing, in behalf of the Court, the very provision of the Fourteenth Amendment now in question, said, quote, The Constitution does not, in words, say who shall be natural-born citizens. Resort must be had elsewhere to ascertain that. Quote. And he proceeded to resort to the common law as an aid in the construction of this provision. In Smith v. Alabama, Mr. Justice Matthews, delivering the judgment of the court, said quote, There is no common law of the United States in the sense of a national customary law, distinct from the common law of England as adapted by the several states, each for itself, applied as its local law, and subject to such alteration as may be provided by its own statutes. There is, however, one clear exception to the statement that there is no national common law. The interpretation of the Constitution of the United States is necessarily influenced by the fact that its provisions are framed in the language of the English common law and are to be read in the light of its history. 2. The fundamental principle of the common law with regard to English nationality was birth within the allegiance, also called legality obedience, faith, or power of the king. The principle embraced all persons born within the king's allegiance and subject to his protection. Such allegiance and protection were mutual, as expressed in the maxim protectio trahit subjectonium et subjectio protectionem, and were not restricted to natural-born subjects and naturalized subjects, or to those who had taken an oath of allegiance, but were predicable of aliens in amity so long as they were within the kingdom. Children born in England of such aliens were therefore natural-born subjects. But the children born within the realm of foreign ambassadors, or the children of alien enemies born during and within their hostile occupation of part of the king's dominions, were not natural-born subjects because not born within the allegiance, the obedience, or the power, or as would be said at this day within the jurisdiction of the king. This fundamental principle, with these qualifications or explanations of it, was clearly, though quaintly, stated in the leading case known as Calvin's case, or the case of the Postnati, decided in 1608 after a hearing in the Exchequer Chamber before the Lord Chancellor and all the judges of England and reported by lord coke and by lord Ellismere. the english authorities ever since are to the like effect in udney v udney eighteen sixty nine l r one h l sc four hundred and forty one the point decided was one of inheritance depending upon the question whether the domicile of the father was in england or in scotland he being in either alternative a british subject lord chancellor heatherley said the question of naturalization and of allegiance is distinct from that of domicile p 452 lord westbury in the passage relied on by the council for the united states began by saying the law of england and of almost all civilized countries ascribes to each individual at his birth two distinct legal states or conditions one by virtue of which he becomes the subject of some particular country binding him by the tie of natural allegiance and which may be called his political status another by virtue of which he has ascribed to him the character of a citizen of some particular country and as such is possessed of certain municipal rights and subject to certain obligations, which latter character is the civil status or condition of the individual and may be quite different from his political status. End quote. And then, while maintaining that the civil status is universally governed by the single principle of domicil domicilium, the criterion established by international law for the purpose of determining civil status and the basis on which quote, the personal rights of the party that is to say the law which determines his majority or minority his marriage succession testacy or intestacy must depend quote. he yet distinctly recognized that a man's political status his country patria, and his quote, nationality that is natural allegiance may depend on different laws in different countries p p four hundred and fifty seven four hundred and sixty he evidently used the word citizen not as equivalent to subject but rather to inhabitant and had no thought of impeaching the established rule that all persons born under british dominion are natural-born subjects lord chief justice cockburn in the same year reviewing the whole matter said by the common law of england every person born within the dominions of the crown no matter whether of english or of foreign parents and in the latter case whether the parents were settled or merely temporarily sojourning in the country was an english subject save only the children of foreign ambassadors who were accepted because their fathers carried their own nationality with them, or a child born to a foreigner during the hostile occupation of any part of the territories of England, no effect appears to have been given to dissent as a source of nationality. Cockburn on Nationality 7. Mr. Dicey, in his careful and thoughtful digest of the Law of England, with reference to the Conflict of Laws, published in 1896, states the following propositions, his principal rules being printed below in italics. British subject means any person who owes permanent allegiance to the crown. Permanent allegiance is used to distinguish the allegiance of a British subject from the allegiance of an alien who, because he is within the British dominions, owes temporary allegiance to the crown. Natural-born British subject means a British subject who has become a British subject at the moment of his birth. Subject to the exceptions hereinafter mentioned, any person who, whatever the nationality of his parents, is born within the British dominions, is a natural-born British subject. This rule contains the leading principle of English law on the subject of British nationality. End quote. The exceptions afterwards mentioned by Mr. Dicey are only these two. Quote, 1. Any person who, his father being an alien enemy, is born in a part of the British dominions, which at the time of such person's birth is in hostile occupation, is an alien. 2 any person whose father, being an alien, is, at the time of such person's birth, an ambassador or other diplomatic agent accredited to the crown by the sovereign of a foreign state is, though born within the British dominions, an alien. And he adds, the exceptional and unimportant instances in which birth within the British dominions does not of itself confer British nationality, are due to the fact that, though at common law, nationality, or allegiance, and substance depended on the place of a person's birth, it, in theory, at least, depended not upon the locality of a man's birth, but upon his being born within the jurisdiction and allegiance of the King of England, and it might occasionally happen that a person was born within the dominions without being born within the allegiance, or, in other words, under the protection and control of the crown End quote. dicey conflict of laws pages one hundred and seventy three to one hundred and seventy seven seven hundred and forty one it thus clearly appears that by the law of england for the last three centuries beginning before the settlement of this country and continuing to the present day aliens while residing in the dominions possessed by the crown of england were within the allegiance, the obedience, the faith, or loyalty, the protection, the power, the jurisdiction of the English sovereign, and therefore every child born in England of alien parents, was a natural-born subject unless the child of an ambassador or other diplomatic agent of a foreign state, or of an alien enemy and hostile occupation of the place where the child was born. Three. The same rule was enforced in all of the English colonies upon this continent down to the time of the Declaration of Independence and in the United States afterwards, and continued to prevail under the Constitution as originally established. In the early case of the Charming Betsy, 1804, it appears to have been assumed by this court that all persons born in the United States were citizens of the United States. Chief Justice Marshall saying, quote, "Whether a person born within the United States or becoming a citizen according to the established laws of the country can divest himself absolutely of that character otherwise than in such manner as may be prescribed by law, is a question which it is not necessary at present to decide." Two Crunch sixty four, one hundred nineteen. In Inglis. Versus Sailor Snug Harbor, 1833, 3 Pet 99, in which the plaintiff was born in the city of New York about the time of the Declaration of Independence, the justices of this court, while differing in opinion upon other points, all agreed that the law of England as to citizenship by birth was the law of the English colonies in America. Mr. Justice Thompson, speaking for the majority of the court, said, quote, It is universally admitted, both in the English courts and in those of our own country, that all persons born within the colonies of North America, whilst subject to the Crown of Great Britain, are natural-born British subjects. Three Pet, one hundred and twenty. Mister Justice Johnson said he was entitled to inherit as a citizen born of the state of New York. Three Pet one hundred and thirty six mister justice story stated the reasons upon this point more at large referring to calvin's case blackstone's commentaries and doe versus jones above cited and saying allegiance is nothing more than the tie or duty of obedience of a subject to the sovereign under whose protection he is and allegiance by birth is that which arises from being born within the dominions and under the protection of a particular sovereign. Two things usually concur to create citizenship. First, birth locally within the dominions of the sovereign, and secondly, birth within the protection and obedience, or in other words, within the allegiance of the sovereign. That is, the party must be born within a place where the sovereign is, at the time in full possession and exercise of his power, and the party must also, at his birth, derive protection from, and consequently owe obedience or allegiance to, the sovereign as such de facto. There are some exceptions which are founded upon peculiar reasons, and which, indeed, illustrate and confirm the general doctrine. Thus, a person who is born on the ocean is a subject of the prince to whom his parents then owe allegiance, for he is still deemed under the protection of his sovereign, and born in a place where he has dominion in common with all other sovereigns. So, the children of an ambassador are held to be subjects of the prince whom he represents, although born under the actual protection and in the dominions of a foreign prince three pet one hundred and fifty five the children of enemies born in a place within the dominions of another sovereign then occupied by them by conquest are still aliens three pet one hundred and fifty six nothing is better settled at the common law than the doctrine that the children even of aliens born in a country while the parents are resident there under the protection of the government and owing a temporary allegiance thereto are subjects by birth," end quote. 3 Pet. 164. In Shanks versus Dupont, 3 Pet. 242, decided, as appears by the records of this court on the same day as the last case, it was held that a woman born in South Carolina before the Declaration of Independence, married to an English officer in Charleston, during its occupation by the British forces in the Revolutionary War, and accompanying her husband on his return to England, and there remaining until her death, was a British subject within the meaning of the Treaty of Peace of 1783, so that her title to land in South Carolina, by descent cast before that treaty, was protected thereby. It was of such a case that Mr. Justice Story, delivering the opinion of the court, said, "...the incapacities of femmes covert provided by the common law apply to their civil rights and are for their protection and interest, but they do not reach their political rights nor prevent their acquiring or losing a national character. Those political rights do not stand upon the mere doctrines of municipal law applicable to ordinary transactions, but stand upon the more general principles of the law of nations." End quote three pet two hundred and forty eight this last sentence was relied on by the counsel for the united states as showing that the question whether a person is a citizen of a particular country is to be determined not by the law of that country but by the principles of international law but mr justice's story certainly did not mean to suggest that independently of treaty there was any principle of international law which could defeat the operation of the established rule of citizenship by birth within the united states for he referred page 245 to the contemporaneous opinions in inglis versus sailors snug harbor above cited in which this rule had been distinctly recognized and in which he had said page 162 that quote, each government had a right to decide for itself who should be admitted or deemed citizens and in his treatise on the conflict of laws published in eighteen thirty four he said that in respect to the residents in different countries or sovereignties there are certain principles which have been generally recognized by tribunals administering public law adding in later editions or the law of nations as of unquestionable authority, quote, and stated as the first of those principles quote, persons who are born in a country are generally deemed citizens and subjects of that country. Story Conflict of Laws. The English statute of eleven and twelve, will three seventeen hundred, c six, entitled quote, An Act to Enable His Majesty's natural-born subjects to inherit the estate of their ancestors, either lineal or collateral, notwithstanding their father or mother were aliens, end quote. enacted that, quote, all and every person or persons being the king's natural-born subject or subjects within any of the king's realms or dominions, end quote, might and should thereafter lawfully inherit and make their titles by descent to any lands, quote, from any of their ancestors, lineal, or collateral, although the father and mother, or father or mother, or other ancestor of such person or persons by, from, through, or under whom title should be made or derived, had been or should be born out of king's allegiance and out of his majesty's realms and dominions, end quote, as fully and effectually as if such parents or ancestors, quote, had been naturalized or natural born subjects or subjects within the king's dominions. End quote. Seven statutes of the realm 90. It may be observed that throughout that statute, persons born within the realm, although children of alien parents, were called natural born subjects, as that statute included persons born quote, within any of the king's realms or dominions. End quote. It, of course, extended to the colonies, and not having been repealed in Maryland, was enforced there. In McCreary v. Somerville, 1824, 9 Wheat 354, which concerned the title to land in the state of Maryland, it was assumed that children born in that state of an alien who was still living and who had not been naturalized were native-born citizens of the United States and without such assumption, the case would not have presented the question decided by the court, which, as stated by Mr. Justice Story in delivering the opinion, was, quote, whether the statute applies to the case of a living alien ancestor so as to create a title by heirship where none would exist by the common law if the ancestor were a natural-born subject, End quote. 9. Wheat 356 Again, in Levy v. McCarty, 1832, 6 Pet 102, 112, 113, 115, which concerned a dissent cast since the American Revolution in the state of New York, where the statute of 11 and 12 will 3 have been repealed, this court, speaking by Mr. Justice Story, held that the case must rest for its decision exclusively upon the principles of the common law, and treated it as unquestionable that by that law a child born in England of alien parents was a natural born subject, quoting the statement of Lord Coke in Co Lit eight A, that quote, If an alien cometh into England and hath issued two sons, these two sons are indigenous subjects born, because they are born within the realm, end quote and saying that such a child, quote, was a native-born subject according to the principles of the common law stated by this court in McCreary v. Somerville, 9 Wheat 354, end quote. In Dred Scott v. Sandford, 1857, 19 Howe 393, Mr. Justice Curtis said, quote, The first section of the second article of the Constitution uses the language a natural born citizen. It thus assumes that citizenship may be acquired by birth. Undoubtedly, this language of the Constitution was used in reference to that principle of public law, well understood in this country at the time of the adoption of the Constitution, which referred citizenship to the place of birth. End quote. 19 Howe, 576. And, to this extent, no different opinion was expressed or intimated by any of the other judges. In United States v. Rhodes, 1866, Mr. Justice Swain, sitting in the circuit court, said, quote, "...all persons born in the allegiance of the king are natural-born subjects, and all persons born in the allegiance of the United States are natural-born citizens. Birth and allegiance go together." Such is the rule of the common law, and it is the common law of this country as well as of England. We find no warrant for the opinion that this great principle of common law has ever been changed in the United States. It has always obtained here with the same vigor and subject only to the same exceptions, since as before the revolution. End, quote. End of section 11